I love my little girls more than anything, and I said to myself, oh, no, don't, you can't, don't say that. But I had underestimated him. He went on, I would rather see my little girls die now, still believing in God, than have them grow up under communism and one day die Excited to be back with you here uh, in what I believe is the third or fourth episode. I'm not even sure anymore, but uh, I'm here with my co-host, the one and only, the hilarious Jim Carrey. Jim, how are you doing? Thanks, Jake. Um, I think we have a lot planned for this week. We are talking to Lou. I don't know. How do you say this last name? It's I believe it's uh, Cola Giovanni. Yeah. But, uh, too Italian for me. Yeah. I'm sorry. But <laughs> but yeah. we have an exciting guest tonight. But um, you want to touch on some current events first, eh? Yeah. No, I, actually, I think we should keep talking about Lou's last name and just making it as awkward as we possibly can. I uh, look, we'll talk about my problems with Italy when he comes on. Yeah, let's do that. I'm not even sure if Lou is Italian, to be honest with you. With a name like that, what else is he? I sure hope not. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yeah, Dude, no. This no, is a, this this intro will probably not actually be in the show. If it is, if you if you are hearing this. That means that we had just a fucking crackerjack legal team go over this and make sure that we're not offending anyone right now. No, we're offending people. But no, let's jump into the fucking headlines before okay. I offend anymore. Right, so, so what do you want to talk about? Or the Europeans. Um, well, last week we discussed uh, – well, last episode, whatever. We discussed a little bit in the intro the um, militia plot to kidnap uh, my governor, Gretchen Whitmer. Have you looked any more into that? I mean, I, I, I've read many articles about it. I'm not going to go so far to say that I'm like know a lot about it, although quite frankly, I should. It's as a true crime writer, it really is like the kind of case I really want to dig more into, you know, how white nationalism is turning into violence. So uh, frankly, it is exactly the kind of case I do want to look more into. I, I read one article about it that really just chilled my blood. And, uh, you know, the guys sound like total losers. Uh, yeah, that's but... what I want to discuss. Um, this seems a lot like the fucking autistic Muslim setups of, like, the early 2000s. You know what I mean? Sort of. Like uh, un unpack unpackage that for me, Jim. Unpackage. Like the mosque infiltrations by, like, the NYPD and shit like that. Like, things that happened in the early 2000s, like, anti-terror efforts where they would, like, set up, like, a mentally ill person from a mosque and, like, convince him that he should bomb something. Right. Well, I mean, basically, it was almost an accident that the FBI got involved. Basically, this militia, which was actually kind of a, a cross-pollination cross of two different small militias, just happened to contact a much bigger militia, the Michigan Wolverine Wolverine bullshit. I don't know what they're called. Something with Wolverines. Yeah, and, it, and because that group was on the FBI radar and they had an informant in there, that's how they knew that these smaller fish were calling in. So it's, it's kind of scary to think about how easily they could have, you know, not been on the radar on this. Here's the thing, though, though, is that the fucking 
and I know, like, take this with a grain of salt, but the defense attorney for, like, the fucking militia members who weren't FBI informants is claiming that, like, the most zealous member of this fucking plot was the FBI informant. And I honestly, as much as I don't agree with the people who've been arrested, I don't have a hard time believing that after what no, we've it, seen. No, it, it's, I mean, look, there are many cases in history where the government informant has kind of been the one uh, coaxing the action, kind of the one building up people's angst and anger, maybe setting some of the plans, maybe setting up some of the strategic that- strategic criminal charges that would come later. But at the end of the day, dude, it's 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 very similar to to catch a predator. Like it's, I mean, maybe it wasn't a maybe the plot wasn't a hundred percent real in terms of part of it being set up but the fact of the matter is if they if you have the intent to do a crime and you put a lot of resources into it that's the commissioning of a crime i mean that's that's still criminal you know? i don't even think they have the mental capacity to be fucking capable of being charged for doing a crime one of their plan part of their plan was to like row her out in a lake michigan in a rowboat Oh, that sounds fucking fun, dude. And they literally, like, in their emails, they were like, hey, do we know anyone with any skills, like, planning ops or communication? <laughs> it sounds like that Napoleon Dynamite, where he's like, do you have any skills? Yeah. The girls only like guys with a bunch of skills. They basically, like, in their emails admitted, like, oh, yeah, we're losers who don't know how to do anything. Like, do you guys know anyone more talented than us? So yeah. I, well, I almost mean, there's, there's no there's no doubt that they were losers. The main guy was like living in a basement shed of his uncle's vacuum shop. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I just don't know. I mean, are you basically are you are you trying to make sort of a patsy argument that that they didn't really know what they were doing and they were kind of patsies for, for an FBI attempt to criminalize them or what i'm not sure exactly what you're arguing i'm almost making like a fucking you know this will sound crazy coming from me too i'm almost making like a false flag argument like the fbi fucking like set these people up and but, to... but that doesn't make sense though dude because white nationalism nationalism has been a growing trend for a while and the fbi has done next to nothing to stop it or do anything about it so what would be their motivation for doing this because now it's a problem. Now it's out of control. Just like fucking radical. Yeah, Islam but you don't need. But you don't, radical Islam wasn't a problem in the 1990s until 2001. Then all of a sudden, the FBI had to start infiltrating mosques. Right, but you. But but my point is, they don't need to make something up. They, there's there's countless white nationalist militias doing weird shit all over the place. You act and, like they can fucking figure that out. You act like they're good cops. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't want to sound rude. I know. I, no, I, no, no. I mean, thir- 13, 13 people planning to kidnap the governor. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's the kind of thing where if they were successful, I mean, you're talking about the kind of thing that can really like trigger some extreme domestic violence. So like, but you really think like any like American group has like the competence to carry out like an all moral kidnapping or something like it, that? It, I, I, it, it's irrelevant whether they were competent to do it. They were trying to do it. Encouraged by whom? Well, we don't know that yet, bro. We're going to have to wait for court. 
Yeah, and the discover, discovery phase, it could turn out that there was some sketchy stuff, but reg- I'm not going to give the benefit of the doubt to a bunch of white na- nationalist crackers before they have their day in court. To be honest, I'm not I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt, but I'm putting them on evil foot on equal footing with the FBI. I trust both equally, which is really not a- okay. That's all right. I mean, I see what you're saying, but that's pretty extreme, dude. I'm not gonna. I, uh, I don't I trust mean, either. I don't F- care. If I, we were talking I, about the CIA, maybe, but uh, no, I'm not sh- no way. The FBI like looked into RussiaGate and fucking started all of this censorship crackdown. Really, dude. You're confusing, like, reactionaryism with, like, kind of just natural movements that a, a powerful federal body is going to take. That's I don't you- I that there's a threat from the right wing. I don't. But I don't think that it—I think it's the guys who are getting, like, materials for, like, fucking dirty bombs and shit like that. It's not the guys who are, like, being set up by an FBI informant. As much as I don't— I would never hang out in a room with these people who've been accused in my state. I would never, you know, be friends with them in like general life. But I, if it comes out in trial that the FBI informant was truly the most zealous member of that little like terror cell, I will believe it. To be honest, all right. Let, let's let's agree to disagree for now. You yeah. believe the white. You believe the white nationalists are innocent. And, I don't, uh, and I and, and I don't. No, it's fine, dude. If that's what you believe, we we can. Fuck. That's fine, bro. I'm gonna fly to Portland. You fuck. Yeah. <laughs> now without a face mask, bro. Yeah, I didn't say they were innocent. I know, but man. I am saying that I don't doubt the FBI. The same. This is the same FBI who like set up people at like the G7 summit with Molotovs and shit. Yeah, dude. I mean, we can we can believe we can entertain multiple thoughts in our head at once. We can believe that the FBI is fucked up and corrupt, and also that every once in a while, a uh, stop clock is is right, you know, twice an hour, and that every once in a while they actually do get a legit tip on something and actionably, you know, clamp I'll down. Just, yeah, I, I agree. That can happen. I think those, but I think a lot of those things we don't hear about. So I think we'll just have to see what comes out in the trial. And I it's, think we should it's, bring this up when it shakes out. Again. It's hilarious that I'm doing the devil's advocate against a domestic false flag operation, but I don't know. I, I've just heard so I much. I find it strange shit. that I'm in this position. Trust me. I know, man, but I'm just, I've gotten so sick of listening, listening to like the QAnon people talk about false flags and just like every single thing that happens they think is a false flag. And I've just gotten sick of it. Uh, And uh, frankly, I'm just sick of conspiracy theories in general right now. I don't, yeah, I don't want to say like this is like a false flag to help Democrats because the FBI is under Trump's control. But at the same time, like, the bust and like what happens here is so convenient that like the FBI, I don't know if they had to like make an example out of someone because Trump refuses to like denounce far right groups or what, but or, I feel or maybe like they made and, an and example ch- out of check someone. this out. Maybe white nationalism really is so widespread and dangerous that it's just all over the place and it was just inevitable that this was going to pop up on the radar eventually. Who knows? Maybe, but not while my Jewish landlord would know.
Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm not cutting that. I don't care. You're, anyway. you're, you're going to cut that. You, Maybe. You fucking neo-Nazi. Let's go ahead and get down to the guest. We've let's move done on. Let's an move ideological on. debate of accusing me of being a Nazi, and then I proved it. So I think we're ready to move into our next segment, probably. We're ready, uh, ready, ready to move on, you know. So, uh, <laughs> so this, uh, yeah, our, our, so our guest tonight, man, is, um, I told you, I think I told you this before, but uh, he helped me with some, like, investigative research for my book that I was writing, the true crime book, Gone at Midnight. And uh, he helped me find some really cool info. And, like, I met him through Anti-Media, and um, he's just a he's just a, a interesting dude. He he's so his name is Lou Colagiovanni, and he is uh, kind of a he's a lead investigator with a with some consulting groups. He's written for Bipartisan Report. He's been a journalist for Occupy Democrats and Anti Media. And um, I in the book I call him the Bulldog because he has just he he can be so. Uh, resourceful and intense that I, I, I felt like it was a, a good name for him. And I, cause I swear if you gave this guy enough resources, I, I'm pretty sure he could solve the Kennedy assassination. Like he's just, he's relentless. And, but um, you know, and he, so he, he's also a very, uh, can be a very opinionated guy he, on his Facebook page, his Facebook uh uh, page he has a pretty big following and uh he gets into a lot of disputes with people and so i thought he'd be the perfect uh guest to have on our show all right so this you is gonna... gotta have you gotta have uh you you need you need uh, to be the same with each other <laughs> you gotta you know i mean today he's going and he'll, he'll grab grab somebody on the you know but it's, it doesn't matter if it's tom dick or harry you gotta when we have we have, thank you for voting for me, <laughs> <laughs> and, I'll, and that is my promise. Yeah, and and to the to the America to I, the to the end. They 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 get they're getting mad at him for grabbing grab. They say he grabs somebody, but if you if you if you're going around grabbing people, there's gonna be a, a record of it. And they're gonna have these records. It skips. It and scratches. The record. And that's what hip hop sounds like. In my <laughs> in my recollection. <laughs> we all we all remember back in the hip hop days. A lot of crime. And was that the best answer? My bill. There's a lot of bills. Does they all? Does they all? Did they have mistakes? You can't. It's on Tuesday. You can't even. What's come back Friday? You guys come back Friday it's down a down a Ruby Tuesday. <laughs> you come in and you say, I'll call you a faggot. And if you have a good comeback, then you eat pussy for free all night. <laughs> Pick any waitress. She's yours. We'll fucking lather her up with honey barbecue sauce all over her pussy. And you can be like a pig in a slop. That's what they used to say when I first came to 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 Dover. When I ran for biggest dick in Dover, they didn't even they didn't they didn't they didn't even they didn't even have uh, Buffalo Wild Wings back then. You had to go around in your car and find a waitress, and you hold you hold her down, and you call your friend on a party line. Back then, you had to crank the telephone, and you'd say, "Bring over the honey barbecue sauce. I'm trying to eat pussy." 
<laughs> and Biden delivering his victory speech tonight. A return, a return a, to normalcy. A return. <laughs> Democracy has been restored. <laughs> Fascism has Fascism been defeated. Fascism is defeated, and America is safe for at least another four years. <laughs> and we now go back to the president. Who's now demonstrating how he would eat the pussy in his hand? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be. Uh, they say, oh, stay away from the sides because the sides is like a crust on a peanut butter jelly sandwich. We all remember that. You'd be a kid and tell your mom, tell, hey, mama, cut off the crust here. But what happens to the crust? It go. You feed it to the retarded brother you have in the attic, locked up there, and it was his genes. That probably caused the Hunter situation. I love him to death, but <laughs> it, I, I look at him and I say, "Hunter, you've got, uh, you've got Scooter's violence in him. <laughs> Uncle Scooter, you've got Uncle Scooter's violence in him. We, I used to, we, we used to, we used to blow uh, cigar smoke up through the, the floorboard cracks and drive him nuts. You could hear him up there bashing his head against the joist." <laughs> I already kind of did an intro for you, but uh, I'll probably uh, introduce you again here. Are, are you are you good to go? Yeah, well, I mean, I've had a couple of cocktails, so uh, I haven't done a whole lot of research. So I'm you're thinking good. I'll just shoot from the hip here. And uh, oh fine. man, you're, you're you'll no, have you'll have funny answers to everything we we ask, man. Um, but anyway, so yeah, uh, I was telling Jim about how uh, well we met through Anti Media, and then you helped me with some really cool investigative research for my book, and and, and it was really fun and, and informative working with you. And I hope we're able, you know, to work together again on a true crime case. But you are uh, you're now working on basically confidential consulting work that I know you can't talk to me about, but you are very involved in, you live in Las Vegas and you're very involved in kind of local politics and stuff there. Can you kind of give us a rundown of like what's going on for you locally right now? Or uh, is it too confidential? You can't say anything about what you're doing. You know, I have confidentiality agreements, you know, NDAs, which really aren't enforceable. Right. But if you make an agreement not to talk about something, then I feel like you should, you know, keep your word. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, um, generally speaking, like you, you people hire you to investigate things for them. You know, first we'll say not the word investigate, because in Nevada, you have to have, have a private investigator's license, which I do not have. So I research things. Right. Which there isn't really a distinction except that one fucking word. Um, but yeah, people hire me for my services. We're in the middle of an election season. Um, I do the dark art of opposition research mostly, which is essentially trying to figure out a way to what somebody's weaknesses are. And then once you figure out what they are, how to exploit them. Because I could give you a recipe book, right? But unless you know what you're doing, you won't know how to use it. All right. So sure. that's kind of what it is at the moment. Cool. Plus, that's you know, various other stuff. It's not all political. I work for business people. Um, I help out entertainment industry, all types of various things, because my business is all word of mouth, right? Cool. So I don't really advertise. I don't go, hey, you can hire me to do fucking X, Y, Z. I just don't believe in that. I think it cheapens cheapens the service and it cheapens the person. 
So. Sure. And and you don't always, you know, do like political campaign stuff, but you are deeply involved in, in politics in terms of, you know, just on your Facebook page and what kind of stuff you've written about in the past. And being as how you always just have such good hot takes on this stuff, what are your <laughs> thoughts on kind of where we're, where we're at right now with, you know, we're right about to see an incredibly historic election. We have just crazy shit going on with Trump. Like, what? what's your take on, like, where do you think we're at right now in terms of, of a country politically? Like, what do you have to say about what Trump has done to us? I mean, is that is that a fair question, what Trump has done to us? I mean, it's almost it, like... It wasn't the like best... It wasn't the best cap for a question, but uh, I didn't I, I didn't know how else to say. Well, like, what, what do you what, think is what headline in the news do you want to talk about? Oh, I mean, we can talk about the most recent headline, the Hunter Biden bombshell. King, that, King, King, King. What? King. I mean, it's been censored across social media platforms. I mean, how fucking ridiculous is that? And it's not like the Hunter Biden expose was published on, you know, a nonsense publication. Right? It was published in the New York Post, which is a worldly publication. Yeah, they lean a little bit right. But has that ever really happened before to where social media platforms are deciding what information is or is not newsworthy or what information the public has a right to see without well, being dubbed fucking dangerous? Well, it did to, happen to, to uh, it had happened to, to the site we used to write for, Anti Media. Like they pretty much got deplatformed and and screwed over. But I I think in terms of a mainstream media sense, uh, yeah, it probably doesn't happen very often. No, it it doesn't happen. I mean, in Anti Media, you know, there's there's a difference what happened with Anti Media. I mean, Anti Media, you know, their their platform was just deleted really without explanation, whereas New York Post maintains their their platform, but this particular news story was censored, straight up censored. The, right. exec the executives decided that this story was harmful to the public. And I can't really think of anything that's more insulting to the public than rather to say, there's information out there. We don't think you're emotionally intelligent enough to discern it for yourselves, to sift through it, to find out what's right and what's wrong. No. Instead, we're going to be your fucking mommies and daddies and decide that you can't even ingest this information. And by the way, of course, like 99% of Twitter executives are liberals and leftists, right? 99% of them are. I don't know what the exact percentages are for Facebook executives, but that, to me, that's telling. I don't want people to tell me and tell the public what they can or can't read. That's very troubling, regardless of what your political affiliation is or what you believe or if you think Donald Trump's a scumbag and all Republicans are baby killers and hate gay people or whatever the fuck else. It's troubling that people are being censored because right now, sure, go talk to a bunch of Democrats and ask them if they really care about this. They'll say no, right? Just like they didn't care when Harry Reid um, changed the rules for confirming Supreme Court justices. And now that the Supreme Court justice is being confirmed presently, suddenly they have a problem with it. That's the exact same scenario that we're having. That's the exact same scenario that we're having that's going to happen. Don't you guys think? I mean, to me, it seems inevitable. Well, what I wanted to say really quick is what, what fucked me up about the Twitter thing with the, the Hunter Biden story is their excuse was how the information was obtained, right? It was like, yeah. oh, we can't publish this because it's a leak. 
But at the same time, they allowed all of the news about Trump's tax returns and all of like the Russia Gate leaks and all of that stuff to circulate on Twitter. And I, I'm not a Trump supporter either, obviously, you know. But I I get that like I understand how people would you know the worst thing you can do when people think you have a bias is confirm that you have that bias. You know, Lou, when I said I just realized when I said about what Trump has done to us, I I think I may have been referring more to how much he has dominated our politics. Uh, it's virtually impossible to even talk about politics right now without it becoming a, a litmus test on your views of Trump. And you're right, there is a lot of hypocrisy involved, particularly you know with the Biden case in terms of Twitter talking about how uh, the way we got the information matters when our government is simultaneously prosecuting WikiLeaks for uh, you know facilitating information in 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 a you know less than you know supremely clean way. So I've actually as as a as a journalist and someone who has a lot of opinions about you know constitutional rights and stuff like that. <laughs> what what do you think about the prosecution of Julian Assange? Um, well, I think the rape charges that are against him are, I mean, it's, 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 it's all drummed up. It's, it's not fair. It's really strange where if you expose secrets or information that the government shouldn't be doing, that you're, you're breaking deviant. Law. Yeah. And your, and your name gets smeared and I don't right. want to, I don't want to get in, I don't want to get into the minutiae of, 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 of that particular aspect of. Wasn't it thrown stuff. out? I'm pretty sure that was like officially thrown out. Okay. Yeah, it was. So think about to me. It, 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 there's an even smaller example. Like it's 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 not illegal universally in the United States, but on, on many dairy farms and um, meat processing plants, it's illegal to record footage inside these places. Right? right. It's terrorism illegal. charges. Right. How is it fucking terrorism when you when you show animals are being mistreated, even though those animals are going to eventually be slaughtered? Um, it's nonsense, right? If you if you explain it to anybody who has a, a rational sense, um, how is that fair, right? And this is the same situation that we're dealing with with government secrets. How is it fair when people are prosecuted for revealing information that the government is doing something they shouldn't be doing? Right. <laughs> it's exactly. Right. I mean, that was the duplicity of Obama, who was supposedly like this o guy opened a secret, you know, whistleblowers and all of that stuff. And then he punished, you know, he made Edward Snowden hide in Russia. He made Julian Assange hide in an embassy and he put Chelsea Manning in prison for years. And then finally, you know, lightened her sentence at the end of his presidency. He was so, I mean, he was so duplicitous on the matter. I mean, Barack Obama pro prosecuted more journalists under the Whistleblower Act. Maybe it wasn't the whistleblower, but he prosecuted more journalists than I think the last three or four presidents combined, <laughs> even though he's supposed to be, you know, this open, transparent president. Um, one of his main campaign functions was going to be to uh, end Guantanamo Bay, which still stands. Right. <laughs> it's uh, right. Yeah. Hillary's it, there. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's it's embarrassing. And then if you explain this to people who are Democrat they kind of shrug their shoulders and they don't care. And it, right. to me, it really comes back to what Chomsky talks about when he talks about freedom of speech. And, you know, he says, if you don't believe in, 
freedom of speech for your enemies, then you don't believe in freedom of speech at all, right? right. And yeah. that's that's what this is. It, it goes back to your original question about Trump and about Twitter and everything else. It's it's okay if it completes an end for Democrats. Because I have a big problem with Democrats, even though I mostly work for them. I have huge fucking problems with them and the way that they behave. Sure. It, it, it's insulting to me. And then, you know, if you look at my social media feed, you'll see people, you know, constantly call me, you know, you're a Republican, you're a Trump lover. It's like I've literally published hundreds of stories talking shit about Trump. I've been published in numerous books for for the for um exposing a variety of Donald Trump's ills. Like one of the books I was published in was written by three Harvard professors called Propaganda Disinformation, where my work was described as the vehemence of the left. And yet if I say anything that's contrary to democratic theory or thought, I'm labeled as a fucking conservative. It's bizarre. <laughs> You're definitely not a conservative, and, and, <laughs> and trust me, Jake yeah, told me to but, cut out the part about Jewish landlords earlier. Uh, <laughs> just fucking goddamn. Uh, so, Lou, uh, yeah, you're 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 killing it tonight, Jim. Now, uh, Lou, actually, one of the the topic I kind of wanted to get into a little bit it actually dates back to uh, I think the very end of the Obama term. Uh, I think that's when uh, we so we. When I was hosting the the Thursday anti media show, I had you on as a guest, and uh, we debated like we had a debate about North Korea basically, and I think this was either I think this was at the very end of the Obama years, and so I wanted to revisit this not to rehash the debate, but to give uh, an update to it in the in light of what has happened since then. So. You know, since Trump took over, uh, there's been certainly a different strategy towards North Korea. But our basic debate before was you were saying it was ethically justified to preemptively invade North Korea because of their humanitarian abuses. And I was against that. Um, has yeah. has your has your thoughts on that changed at all, given given what we've seen with Trump? Or if not changed, I mean, have your views, I mean, in what way have your views changed regarding North Korea, at least? Well, you know, let me just go ahead and first say that I lost that debate. Hands down, I lost it. Um, but I, I felt like I should make the argument that other people were uncomfortable in making. Sure. Um, Christopher Hitchens is one of my favorite authors, right? And he wrote extensively about North Korea and about just the ungodly ways in which the people have to live there to where, you know, there are, there are sex slave camps. There is no media allowed there. It's just state run media. Um, you're basically slaves your entire lives. They have these huge cities that are built where people don't live in the cities. They have storefronts that are full of goods that are not available for purchase. They're only available for propaganda purchases to make it seem that the, that the country is well off. Um, not to mention, of course, that they have a hostile lunatic. Hostile isn't even the correct word to describe him. But, you know, you have a maniac who has his finger on the button. What's so maniacal weapon. about him? I mean, what's so maniacal? Is that the question? Yeah, please. I mean, what what is maniacal about his foreign policy as far as that goes? Oh, well, I mean... It, it's kind of strange where you hold millions of people hostage for aid. Right? That's, that's, that's basically their, their economy, right? 
they basically their economy has grown in the last several years even under sanctions though i mean oh that's well and good right but it doesn't change the fundamental point that you have millions of people who live in abject darkness right that's basically the dark ages in north korea where you're murdered if you even if you're murdered unless you hold on let me let me start again when you deal with north koreans children when they're growing up there have to literally take a picture of the great leader carry it and stare at it as they walk to school and they have to praise the great leader all day every day this is the this is the fundamental way of life Okay, so if their if their economy has grown, fucking whoop de do, right? Where did it, this information it, come from, though? What do you mean? Where did Where did the information from? that they have to like, take a picture of Kim Jong Un when they're a baby and carry it around? Where does that information come from? A defector? No, this is this is based on the reporting of Christopher Hitchens, who's reporting, I believe. Um, I believe a lot of sources have been to North Korea too, but they, they don't have the same opinion that you do. That's the thing. That's I don't want to, you know. I mean, make it heated or anything, but I just don't agree with this opinion. I don't agree that that's how the majority of North Koreans live. Okay, well, you know, I've never been there. Um, Chris Richens is one of the only journalists who's actually ever been there and escaped alive. So I agree with his views. I trust his reporting. What's your view um, with regard to, I think this, you know, for a lot of people, the, the whole preemptive regime change thing kind of stems from a, a kind of jaded feeling towards uh, kind of just the neoliberal imperialism we've seen over the last 20 years. Uh, do How do you, I mean, is your feeling, so, I mean, your view is still basically that we'd be ethically justified in a preemptive attack on them. Does that, does that go for other countries like maybe say Iran or are other authoritarian regimes, or is this, or is this kind of just restricted? Uh, well, because I, no, I mean, the, I mean, the Iranian Iranian regime change. Of course, you, you go back to the fifties, right? We already tried that; it didn't work. In fact, it blew up. It blew up in uh, American military's face. And I believe that ultimately there will be a regime change in Iran by force. I feel like that's been, but not that that's the question that you're asking me. But I think it's a it's an important distinction to make. Right, that Iran has always been the prize within for all Middle East violence with the United States. Have you ever seen the interview with uh, retired Force Star General Wesley Clark, where he yeah. talks about this memo that he saw in the Pentagon after the 9-11 attacks, where they were laying out the strategy to begin with invading and toppling the government of Iraq. And then I don't remember the exact order, but... Ultimately, they're going to attempt. They're going to attempt to topple all the smaller countries, and then topple Iran. So um, that's always been a policy of the United States for decades now. They haven't been able to accomplish it. I'm surprised that Donald Trump hasn't attempted it yet. Right, and and that's where he gets some some level of support is people that feels like he hasn't been a war hawk, which of course is completely ridiculous because. While he may not have started any new hot wars, he's dropped just as many bombs um, as as the previous presidents. Uh, he's an arms dealer too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In ter- well, you mean in terms of like the Saudi Arabia stuff? The Saudis, UAE, Israel, whoever whoever wants it as a return, uh, anyone who will take arms in return for us withdrawing troops from the region 
is accepting it. So yeah, the UAE, Israel, Saudi Arabia, whoever in the Gulf will accept our arms in exchange for us withdrawing physical troops. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think we agree that we don't like Saudi Arabia, or maybe you don't agree. Uh, I think Saudi Arabia is pretty. I don't really think I don't know really what's to like about them. <laughs> yeah, no, but I don't think anyone likes Saudi. I mean, yeah, no one it, likes Saudi Arabia. Is it the official position of the Saudi Arabian government that gay people don't exist? Oh, that's that's yeah. that's. I think that might be the Iranian government, but I don't think Saudi yeah, Arabia's. Yeah, people, that's Iran. Behind with them, right? So, Where yeah, people are beheaded for being gay. Women are beheaded for women. Women get beheaded in Saudi Arabia if they get fucking raped, right? right. So yeah, I can't imagine anything that's, that, that, that there is to like about them. It's sickening, yeah. The same goes for the UAE, which is a country full of expats. I mean, a British woman was raped there, and she was arrested. So if, if we can, uh, I'd like to bring it in a little bit more towards uh, maybe some domestic policy issues. Uh, although I'm more than happy to return to foreign policy. But... Um, Lou, I was going to kind of ask you because, so I am pretty open about, I, I'm uh, basically a, a democratic socialist. I, in my, I feel like there's a, a diff, people can have a difference between like what their, I, their ideal ideology might be like in a perfect world and then what ideology they think is the most practical for the time we're in. So on the on the ideological side, I would call myself like an anarcho syndicalist. But on the practical side, I'm a democratic socialist. Now, there's a lot of talk about uh, in what ways we can integrate socialism into our our economy, and it's a, it's a pretty uh, controversial issue. And I kind of just wanted to get your take on where you stand on it. Um, I I don't know what your take was on. Bernie Sanders policies. I, I my guess is that you were receptive to them, but I don't know. But I love Bernie. Yeah, I loved him in, yeah. in 2010. I wanted Bernie to primary Obama. Right, I I'd been supporting Bernie Sanders for years. I thought that he made huge, huge tactical errors this last go around. Right, making the campaign yeah. more. It, it, the big tactical error to me was uh, turning it into uh, he he incorporated an identity politics aspect to his campaign, which was to me nonsense. Yeah, but same to, happened in the UK. Right. He and he wanted to be, you know, he wanted to be more, you know, when Bernie was running against Hillary Clinton, um, he had issues with Black Lives Matter when they were, you know, up and coming, where he was having his rallies kind of ambushed. Um, BLM members were going on the stage taking the microphones, demanding that he apologize, etc. So for Bernie Sanders to try and um I guess nip that in the bud, which isn't the correct way to put it. But for him to try to curtail that hostility, he incorporated more um, identity politics to his campaign, which I think was a huge fucking mistake. I felt like he alienated more people than he was gaining. Um, right. It, it, to me, to me, it's, it, it's just a fundamental. There are fundamental tactical errors that Democrats make consistently when they're when they're running political campaigns. It's yeah. like. It's like when Elizabeth Warren was running in the primary, she was talking about how she wanted to make it a policy to allow prisoners to have fucking sex change operations while they're in custody. Right. Right. And then she yeah. made a big thing where she wanted to do that. And it's like, first of all, how many voters are you actually gaining by fucking doing that? Zero. Or you're gaining what? 
you know, what percentage point? A very small number, but you're alienating a much larger number. And, and politics is a, a, a zero-sum game. Right. So I, I remember you posting that on Facebook, and, and it's an argument that Bill Maurer makes a lot, which is that Democrats are really bad with messaging. And uh, <laughs> they are. And 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 I wanted to. I actually had a direct question about that with regard to. I wanted to ask about police brutality. Mm-hmm. And, and and but but I had a more specific question that relates specifically to messaging. And there is a lot of uh, people talking about uh, defunding the police. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you think that that is smart messaging or if that is alienating a lot of people who might otherwise be on board with. Well, no, it's it's horrible. It's horrible messaging. When they say defund the police, people say, well, who, who is going to police the streets if you're defunding the police? I mean, it, it, it's think about it like this. Like, I, I've, I've been, uh, over the years, I've written a lot of articles about police brutality. In fact, I'm the only person who's ever even attempted, and I did it successfully one time, uh, maybe two or three years ago. I documented every single person that was shot and killed by police across the country the month of June. Maybe it was 2016, 2017. So I'm very much an advocate against this. Wow, that's but, awesome, dude. But, yeah, it was on anti-media. Um, it was it was a it was a thing to try and do it. Um, and I, it took so much time to do. I would like to see it done every month. I'd like to see a collaborative effort where every single person in the United States who is killed by police and there just to be an active list. Washington Post does a similar thing, but they don't go into detail. What I did was I detailed every single killing, the circumstances, who the person was. If they were on, if there was information to show that they were on any type of medication, if they had any type of diagnosis, et cetera. But um, that's not your question, but it's just to give a baseline for me to answer the question. Um, but yeah, it's a messaging error. Rather than people right. saying they want to defund police, what they should say is, did you know that uh, there are a bunch of police officers that are being paid $300,000 a year? Right? Did you know, like right here in, in Nevada, yeah. <laughs> in Las Vegas, Las Vegas doesn't have a chief of police. We have the sheriff of Clark County, whose name's Joe Lombardo, who I've been oppositional against for a while. And I, I, I want to say that the sheriff right now makes like six hundred or $700,000 a year, which to me is fucking bizarre. You shouldn't make that much money. And that's when, when yeah. the money comes down the line, you know, the assistant sheriff, several maybe they're called deputy sheriffs, whatever their title is. I mean, they're making four or $500,000 a year. So if they want to talk about defunding the police, they should talk about that type of money rather than saying, you know, just broad, basically to be pinpoint. Because if you were to say that to the public, people would agree with it rather than just this broad based, lazy attempt at messaging. Okay. Yeah. can I, I want to say like, yeah, I, I, I actually kind of agree with that. I think that there's a message to be had of like, Offering alternatives and at the same time, um, not just screaming defund the police, but identifying the issues separate communities have had with police. Because all poor communities of every color at this point have had issues with over-policing. And I think that is where you address the issue rather than trying to make it a social justice, like racial issue, is you address the over-policing in general of the working poor. A lot of it has to do with with false narratives in the media to give the impression that the the story is slanted in such a way. I mean, if you go back, uh, a lot of this happened in Ferguson, okay? 
uh, when people start talking about Mike Brown, he shot with his hands up, right? That's where a lot, I shouldn't say a lot of the anger stems from it, but that was one of the more prevalent cases that was on a nationwide basis, right? Right. And there was right. this narrative about how he was shot with his fucking hands up. And this narrative went on for months. And so after the fact, when the Justice Department's report came out, it showed definitively that he was not shot with his hands up. And the way that it was shown that he was not shot with his hands up is because he had a cauterized wound on his hand. And that meant that his hand was shot, you know, point blank almost from a gun. And the bullet was dug out of the inside of the officer's car, which meant that Brown's hand was inside the police officer's vehicle. And then the police officer shot him in the hand, which is how the wound got there. But instead, there was an individual named Andre something. I think his name was Andre or maybe... No, maybe it wasn't Andre, but the point still remains there was an individual who was a witness who claimed that he was shot with his hands up, and the media ran with that narrative. Then after the Justice Department's information came out and disproved that, you can find willy-nilly fucking mention of it whatsoever. And even to this day, you have politicians who mention fucking Mike Brown, who, who literally attempted to take a gun out of a police officer's holster and got shot in the hand, but he's still seen as a figure of sympathy when the guy was a fucking criminal. Um... I may have strayed from the point, but I think you're understanding where I'm going with this. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's. It's. I mean, it was. It was about. Uh, I think initially it was just uh, messaging versus the reality of police brutality, because I think we can all agree that uh, the, the police state, police brutality, is is pretty out of control right now. I mean, I'm of the opinion that you know the original point of police was basically uh, you know protecting the assets of rich people including slaves at a certain point, and uh, essentially uh, a lot of cover for white nationalism. Uh, but, I mean, that would take a pretty in-depth history to go back too far into that. I mean, do, do you think, how much of a connection do you think there is between state control and police? Um, I mean, what, I mean, I guess essentially you, you write a lot about corruption, uh, you know, corruption in places of power. Like, how do you think we can rein in police brutality and, and, and negligence? Well, you know, as a baseline, right, before it used to be, um, you know, peace officers, justice of the peace, now it's law enforcement, which are two entirely different things. Um, how do we rein it in? You're right, it, it is a swooping question. Um, one of the things that really bothers me is when a police officer, you know, when there's, when there's a judgment against a city government or a county government for the actions of a bad police officer. That money doesn't come out of the police officer's pocket, right? It comes out of a slush fund or a legal fund that's already paid for by the taxpayers. There, there really is very little in terms of dissuading that type of behavior, which kind of get, I don't like how the conversation goes, not this conversation, but I don't like how the conversation goes where it sounds like people are fundamentally against police. Mm -hmm. Right. Because a uh, far majority of people in this country are in favor of policing. Right. They want to be able to call if, you know, somebody's breaking into their house or whatever the fuck. But there are serious fundamental problems with that. I mean, one of the problems and I don't remember exactly what the statistic is. But I think it was in Massachusetts where um, police officers, if you would were to apply to be an officer, if you had an IQ that was above a certain level, you were automatically declined the position, right? 
Wow. Yeah. Which is bizarre. And I wrote about it years ago. I don't remember the exact, I don't remember what the exact numbers yeah, are. Yeah, I remember seeing that. But yeah. The, ra- the rationale for it is um, there's a certain level of training that goes into, you know, making a police officer ready for the street. And the rationale, at least as it was explained in their lawsuit, was, um, I, I want to say this correctly, I think it was that there were, if you were to invest so much time into somebody, individuals with a higher IQ are more likely to leave that job with the training and get a better job somewhere else. So economically, for them, it made sense not to hire people with higher IQs, I think was their rationale, which is bizarre. I mean, it seems completely counterintuitive. Right. Well, that's the thing that, like, I would say about anything like the Mike Brown case or anything like that is the fact that, like, I don't give a shit what he did is the fact that the cops think they're like judge, jury and executioner. And it's not necessarily the Mike Brown case in particular, but uh, just the general cases that Black Lives Matter have been upset about in general. Uh, the, the wide spectrum of cases of people who have been killed by police for not really doing anything. Uh, you may want to say what you say about Mike Brown, and that may be true, you know, but I I see a lot of resistance no, to the over-policing. You know, you're I not, do see people who are mad either way. I mean, there there are a lot of instances where, from a tactical perspective, um, a lot of the national outrage cases, and I can't remember, maybe it's, um, I think his last name is Castillo. I can't remember the guy's first name. Philando. Um, was Lando Castillo? I don't remember his first, I don't remember the na- exact name. But that was the case where the officer was standing outside of the car door, right? And I think Castillo was stoned or had had smoked marijuana, something like that. And that might have led to his lack of reasoning. But he went to reach for his registration or something. And the police officer said, don't reach for it, don't reach for it. And then when he went, and what, of course, this is according to the officer's story, right that he reached into the glove box and then the officer had no choice but to open fire on him because at that point in time, you know, the police officer doesn't know if the individual is reaching for a gun. And um, our mutual friend, Justin King, did a wonderful video on this showing exactly how quick somebody could grab a gun and draw it if they were to do something like that. Justin King agreed with the position that the police, I don't, and I think he agreed with it. Pretty sure he agreed that the police officer was justified in doing that. And the only reason I bring that up and Mike Brown case up and not the other cases is not to offer cover for bad police behavior. My my analysis is about how the media is disingenuous in representing this to the public and inflaming this outrage rather than focusing on the facts. Right. right. That's my that's my point. I want to be perfectly clear with that. Sure. I'm not some yeah. fucking apologist. No, sure. there's definitely um, some motivation. I mean, when you see like MasterCard like putting a black lives matter banner on the top of their website, you know, <laughs> or, or Facebook having like a black lives matter, like logo for the day or whatever, you know, right. well, it seems shit. like a, a business, a business move there. But and pro- thing, and like, probably a smart one, but, but these are, no, no, like, the, the these, media, are these are social movements that are connected. The fact that like black lives matter has been so co-opted by like liberal mainstream society and like the Black Lives Matter or even like the Women's March, like the NGO aspect of these movements that have like basically overwhelmed the messaging and taken over corporate America. You can see how damaging they are to actual organic movements of resistance. Sure. Absolutely. And, and there's actually 
uh, transitions into something I wanted to ask, which I think, I think Jim, you'll have a, a, a quite a bit to say about this too. But so, Lou, you've spoken several times now about uh, disingenuous uh, media narratives, and another place we see that is, well, for example, uh, Russia Gate. Or, or anything involving Russia, and pretty much anything involving China, too. Um, do you think that the American media is basically becoming, or do you think that they do the work of just, you know, the State Department, essentially, in terms of doing disinfo and propaganda against countries like Russia and China? Or do you think Russia and China deserve th this level of, of, of villainy? Uh, villainy? I mean, I'm not sure that I agree with the question necessarily, although I understand what you're saying. Um, I mean, look at look. We have a perfect two drastic examples right now. Like we have the Russiagate example against Trump, and then we have the blooming scandal with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Um, if you looked at Joe Biden's town hall, that fucking scandal was broken that day. They didn't ask him one question about it. Not one question. Right. So it's not that the media is necessarily doing the work to make Russia and China appear to be bad actors. Right. But they do it in a selective way rather than in a way that's, you know, even in a way that's informative. They do it in a way that's beneficial to them to create an outcome that is preferential to those political bodies. Um, so in that way, sure, the media does do it, but I don't think they necessarily are doing it because they're doing it for the State Department, although there are certain arguments to be made there I sure i mean I, well hang on I, it, they are doing it for the state department though is the thing is when you watch cnn or msnbc and you watch an hour of news and the consultants who are had on to talk about like the latest crisis somewhere overseas are john brennan or somebody like that oh, right, you know right. oliver north has a contract with fox like when you see those people come on television and tell you about like a a crisis in a foreign country there's no reason you should believe them i mean the, that's correct wouldn't you agree no i agree with you yeah the way the media is integrated into the military industrial complex it's, it's really become i mean it's tied in we had g ge as like a top investor in nbc during the iraq war you know and i think that's what a lot of people don't understand in this country is the tie-in between corporate america and the military uh, like defense contractors and things like that i um i i don't know if you guys have i read this book uh confessions of an economic hitman i'm sure you guys have heard of it if not yeah if not read it but he was making an argument in there which was really compelling to me, uh, which is that uh, essentially the kind of imperialism that the U.S. has been embarking on in the last, well, half a century really, but pretty hyper-mode hyper on it in the last 20 years, that he was basically arguing that our empire building is more nefarious than, say, a country like China, which is just as big of a superpower and in some ways is overtaking us in terms of technology and whatnot. Uh, he bases that on the fact that uh, China does not, you know, go out and invade and do a lot of regime changes and that they don't conscript third world countries into like IMF debts and stuff like that. Uh, what's your take on, on in terms of like, 
the the role of U.S. in the of the U.S. in the world. I mean, do you think that his assessment is right? Which is, I mean, do you think the U.S. has been a more nefarious imperial power than than say China? You know, one of my favorite author, uh, one of my favorite journalists is Matt Taibbi. Which I'm sure you guys, you know, yeah. familiar familiar with yeah. his work. And I'll paraphrase him. I'm sure I'll misquote him. But it was a few years ago. He was writing about American imperialism. And it was basically saying, what happens when we pull back the curtain of American imperialism and see that no matter what happens, no matter what type of justification is used, that the horrendous actions of the American government is simply the price that has to be paid for the American way of life, which to me was very, very powerful statement, because I think it's 100 percent accurate that all of the atrocities that the American government commits is so that big fat fucks can shop at Walmart and have cheeseburgers for a dollar, right? And I think the majority of American people are okay with that, which is one of the fundamental problems. They probably are okay with it, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily right, you know? I mean, sure, it, does, it doesn't mean that it's right, but, you know, we have elections as rigged as they are. We do have elections. And there is information out there if people would choose, would people would choose to educate themselves, um, and, which is why I get mildly annoyed when people complain about the media, and I complain about the media. But the media creates information that the public wants. Um, if the public wouldn't ingest this information, if the public stopped watching, then the media would stop creating this stuff. You know, so it's basically. We all have to look in the mirror. Maybe not you guys. You know, you're very socially conscious. But a lot no, of these other I folks out there in the country. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying, though? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's the fault of lazy, greedy, stupid fucking people who only really care about themselves. Well, I I, wow. I agree with you, and and that's a powerful point. But I mean, from that rationale, then basically. If 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 the citizenry isn't going to take responsibility, then does that not mean we just need perhaps a more I mean, I'm, this is not my argument, but a lot of people would argue that if the citizenry is not going to do their job, then that not only opens the door far, but essentially gives a free pass for more state control. And so maybe maybe you think that's a good thing, perhaps for issues like climate change, maybe we do need a more totalitarian regime in order to rein in certain uh, excesses and corruption. Well, I mean, isn't that kind of what you're seeing right now with the Democratic Party, right? They're seeing the Democratic Party essentially asserting that that's what they're going to do, that they don't believe that the majority of people know what's in their own best interests, right? And well, man, maybe well, the right. majority of people don't even vote, so nobody knows I mean, what's in their interest. That's a, I mean, that's a good point. Gore Vidal one time uh, wrote that, Fifty uh, percent of the American people haven't picked up a newspaper, and fifty percent of the American people haven't voted. And let's hope that they're the same half. Yeah. So, either way, that whatever party's in power represents a minority of the country. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think that I mean, that's the thing. Is like, what do we do to sort of dislodge the two party system in a pragmatic sense? What do you think about that? You know. A lot of people don't like AOC. I like her. Mm. I don't agree with a lot of her policies, but yeah, I, I love like, her. I, I like how her. she. I like how she came to power. 
right? Right. She beat, yeah, yeah, she beat yeah. the Democratic money machine. She went out there. She beat the streets. She knocked on doors. And she did the way that it should be done. And if we saw more of that in this country, I feel like we would see a lot less of these atrocities. But, I mean, that begins with thousands of citizens who want to take that responsible step rather than posting fucking pictures on Facebook and going to the polls once every two and four years and acting like they fucking did something when they're not doing a fucking thing. Um, and to me, it's, re- it's, 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 it's quite frankly, it's annoying. It's very disappointing when I see that type of behavior. You're seeing it exhibited right now en masse. You suggested that you like the way she was elected, but you don't necessarily agree with her policies. Or, or do you not do you not go down for some of the hardcore ideas of democratic socialism? Or do you think they're unrealistic? Or it's not that I disagree with democratic socialism. I mean, I was a big supporter of Bernie Sanders, um, and, and in many ways, uh, the United States is already a socialist country. There, right. there are plenty of things. There are plenty of things that are socialized. I mean, the NFL is fucking socialized in the United States, right? <laughs> yeah, so, well, that's not that, socialism. That's fascism. That's a corporate socialism. Yeah, right. It, maybe it's inverted, inverted totalitarian socialism. The same, okay. the, I mean, the same with like the, the way Twitter and Facebook ban people that we talked about earlier. I mean, that's a, a form of corporate fascism that's only permitted by neoliberalism. No, you're not wrong. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah, I just think that I mean, like the the thing we saw with Twitter in the last week, we see that um, technology companies, because of their Congress's unwillingness to regulate them and their lack of understanding about what they actually do or what they actually sell, we see this sort of like corporate fascism coming in anyway. It doesn't quite matter who we vote for because at this point, private industry has so stitched up the legislature that it doesn't quite matter who's in charge because especially something like Silicon Valley, they have so much control over the legislature at this point that they're not even going to be regulated as long as they pretend to self-regulate. Well, Jim, you know, there's, Jim, you you would advocate for, I mean, wouldn't you advocate for top-down state control over social media? Oh, yeah, I'd advocate for nationalizing it the same way you have, like, phone lines. I, well, phone lines aren't nationalized. They're regional monopolies. They should be nationalized, too. All critical infrastructure should be nationalized because I don't think that a profit motive in providing you access to uh, the global network of content should be a for-profit business because it's. Uh, I think it is a right of citizens to possess knowledge. Sure. I mean, I, I, that makes it sound good. And I, I, I actually do agree with you there. But in terms, I think, I think the social media part of it makes this all a very tricky issue. Because, um, first of all, they haven't really defined whether they're a platform or a publisher, and probably never will define it because they go with the definition that fits them at the time. Right. But in terms of censorship, I, I think the way social media is configured now, it almost behooves the government to have social media as a separate, unnationalized sphere because I feel like they can kind of outsource their censorship to these 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 big tech companies and yeah. not be charged with censorship because it's, it's, easy, yeah. it's easier to threaten them than regulate them. You know what I mean? Because right, but- the, 
like I said, nobody in Congress understands what's happening with these companies. So it's easier to try and make them self-regulate than regulate them from the outside. And that's well, where, like, their control is, like, leached into society at this point. I used to work for a guy named Jason Fick. A long time ago, he used to be editor of a music magazine called WTF Magazine. And WTF Magazine still exists on Facebook. And Jason, at one time, owned, you know, I don't know, 30 or 40 million likes, probably more than that. And he ended up being deplatformed by Facebook. And he's been involved in a Facebook lawsuit trying to get Section 230 um, looked at by the government. And he's basically spent his own fortune. Um, he, Jason was arrested for uh, egregious attempted murder charge because he videotaped a fight in a parking lot in Baltimore. Um, you could look him up. He's a really fascinating guy, really cool guy. But he's been financing this lawsuit against Facebook for years now. So it's really interesting to see social media censorship. And it's interesting to have uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas say that, and I don't want to misquote him, but, you know, paraphrasing, Thomas said something in the last week or so about how um, the court is open to having a case that would allow them to define what Section 230 is. Um, so I think that this is going to come to a head to where Facebook and Twitter won't be able to hide behind this shield of saying, that they are a platform rather than a publisher. Um, sure. Unfortunately, but that's not going to happen today, so we're not going to be able to talk about it. It's probably not going to happen for the next year or so, maybe yeah, longer. You, but you think it it'll be the next happen. election that kicks it in? You know, I don't. I, I don't know if it's going to take four more years. Um, I don't think it'll take uh, that, but I mean, just this this upcoming election, the fact that, that there's so many accusations of like Russian interference, Chinese interference, fake printed like mail in ballots and things like that. Do you think, like, you know, I mean, you know, the Russian interference stuff, I mean, well, wasn't it proved that Russia spent, uh, and you say Russia, but wasn't it proved that there was Russian money that paid for $150,000 in Facebook ads? Oh, I and don't buy any of it. You know, I don't I mean, believe that, any of it. That, that's what, that's, that, that was, that was the report based on um, congressional uh, investigation. They right, and RT and Sputnik were propaganda. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> when you talk about that sort of stuff because the facts really don't match the rhetoric uh you know there was there was evidence to show that the russian government probed various voting locations but no voting machines were actually gained access to right. even though i mean anybody could watch a fucking youtube video and see how these 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 machines can be reprogrammed with a butter knife and uh, a USB stick. So, you know, I feel like if that were the actual case, which a lot of Democrats talk about, I feel like that there would have it would have happened rather than it was just a probe and they were kind of looking into it and they spent one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on Facebook ads. I I'm mean, sure that I drift, I drifted from the point a little bit, but uh, well, the Democrats haven't. <laughs> the Democrats haven't done anything to secure elections. It's not like they've uh, it's not like in my county, which I, at one point my county was featured on The Daily Show for having voting machines from like the 1980s. Yeah. And that is something that like hasn't changed. You know what I mean? There was no Obama initiative or anything like that to change that. Obama even uh, turned down the idea of having a voter registration on the Obamacare website because they felt the Democrats felt it would be too political. 
Mm. You know, they're basically in a position like they're always prepped to lose because they do better as the losers than they do as the winners, in my opinion. I mean, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to to be aggressive rather than to play offense, right? That's why the producers of Fox News love it when Democrats win, and the producers of MSNBC love it when Republicans win, which right. is one of the unfortunate things of the media. Right. I, I was having a, a conversation with with my buddy, and he he said uh, he thinks that in their heart of hearts, most of the Democrats would prefer Trump to win. And most of the media people would, too, because it's been an incredible cash cow for media. Trump is at the top of the headlines. And for the DNC, it gives them this resistance kind of uh, playbook where they don't have to focus on issues or policies or what would actually help a working class movement. Yeah. Four they more years to... of fucking off. Yeah, they get to, you know, just kind of uh, play defense, like you were saying. Be on um, TV. Yeah. Well, Wait, I mean, yeah. It, it, it's frustrating because you would like to think that. I mean, after Bernie Sanders lost in the primary, a lot of the a lot of the vehemence kind of slid away, right? It, I feel like I feel like the media and the Republicans and Democrats all universally were more against a Bernie Sanders presidency than the media and the Democrats are against a Trump president. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I, 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 I would I would bet my every cent I've ever had that they would have rather Trump been president than Bernie Sanders. There's I mean, no they had Elizabeth Warren set up with a super PAC to, like, survive through Super Tuesday on, like, stolen blood, basically, yeah. you know? They they clearly cheated, and like anyone who was a Bernie supporter watched that happen. That's it's bullshit if they want to say that it happened any other way. Like oh, low voter turnout in the last primaries or whatever, because at the, in during the last primaries, Bernie was encouraging his voters to stay home, mm -hmm. while Joe Biden was telling his like boomer voters to go out to the polls and like sneeze on each other. <laughs> you know, so I I. You see the Bernie campaign, like you said, they made some strategic errors, and that was one of them, was telling people not to go out and vote. Well, to be I mean, honest, the, the millennials should have just gone to the polling places and coughed on every boomer they could have got within six feet of. You know, Bernie, Bernie's biggest problem has always been that he's too nice of a guy. Yeah, right? I've, worked, absolutely. I've worked for these politicians where it's I've done opposition research, and I've found ugly things, and uh, when it comes time to use it, Politicians don't want to use it, even though it'd probably give them a greater chance of victory. Bernie right. Sanders is one of those politicians where he's just, and in that way, I kind of wonder if he was qualified to be president of the United States. There's a certain level of ruthlessness, I feel, that has to, that, that you have to have if you want the top job in the world. Yeah. And Bernie yeah. consistently exuded the fact that he is not that ruthless of a guy. And I feel well, like he, that's why he fucking lost. And he called, you have to remember, he always called for a, a, a political revolution. He never called for the actual revolution. He, that's, he's not that guy. And it's not only that. But if he I, was, he would have run as a third party independent and just totally blown up the system. But I don't know. Go. I'm sorry, see, Jim, Jim, go ahead. Well, he treated this candidacy the same way he treated like the 2016 candidacy, where it's like, oh, well, I'm an outsider, so I need to be nice. 
You know, and he wasn't rough with Hillary Clinton until like the last few weeks of the election during 2016 when he really stood a chance of winning the primary. And he should have been like that with Joe Biden from the beginning. He should have been aggressive and the same with anyone who stood in his way, whether it be Kamala Harris or Mayor Pete or whoever. Uh, Bernie should have been more aggressive in those battles because he had positions that would actually win over working class votes, whereas these losers didn't have anything. Yeah, I guess kind of the difference in Republicans and Democrats. I mean, if you look at how Trump came to power and how he steamrolled the primary process, Republican Party didn't do a whole lot to stop him, right? I mean, candidates like Jeb Bush had hundreds of millions of dollars and Trump just embarrassed him and Jeb, Jeb drops out. But the Democratic establishment did just about every fucking thing they could to hinder Bernie Sanders' candidacy, right? And in a, in a lot of ways, that makes it very difficult for me to cheer with my Democrat friends. It's like, look at you guys. You guys don't really believe in fair elections. You don't really believe in letting the people have their voice. Instead, you know, there was, you know, the, the way the primary rules are set up in New York where you had to be registered like 16 or 18 or 22 fucking weeks before the election. And if Jesus. you weren't registered by that 22 week mark, you weren't allowed to vote in the fucking primary or how in Arizona polling places were reduced by 75 percent. Yeah, there's. There's a lot of places with rules like that. I mean, like, I know Texas has, like, if you register to sign people up to vote in one county, that's it. Like, you're certified for that county. If you want to move into another county, you have to recertify. You know, so it's Jim, even register people to vote. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, and I suddenly realize I don't know. How, how would a, a political election go in a completely communist society? There's one party to choose from, but you can choose your moderates or your leftists. All right. So it's just one party. And why why do you think that would be better? I most most people want like multi parties and multi Yeah, most people do. But, they do. Yeah. I get that. I understand that. And I, I I believe in like a plurality under the current state, but at the same time I feel like under a worker state there should not be a plurality. Because the people who have pumped millions of dollars into, I don't know, uh, securing federal uh, judgeships, um, the people who have poured millions of dollars into lobbying Washington and things like that, those people cannot be allowed to go on existing, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, those people cannot be allowed to run free in a healthy society. There should be something done with them. Yeah, okay. I, I kind of want to know what that means, but but I want to bring Lou into this because Lou, I've I've been having this as kind of an ongoing conversation with with Jim. I you know I'm a democratic socialism in my heart of hearts. I'm lean more towards something like decentralized, like anarcho syndicalism. But it's hard for me to get behind the idea of full blown state control because I just don't see with the I just see humans as just naturally sociopathic. And I feel like those who gain power are naturally going to wield that power in a sociopathically sick way. So I just don't know. I don't see how a a single state run, single party state run government. I don't. I don't. I just don't see how that is going to 
change the nature of corruption in America, at least. I see the ideas of, I don't know, uh, a Robespierre as valid. I think a society can be reshaped. I think certain elements have to be removed from that society, whether that means they're chopping down logs in the Yukon or whatever. I don't care. But I think a certain element removed from society and you can have a virtuous society. When you say removed, what what do you mean? Like uh, you're saying certain undesirables will be out. They no longer have their power. They no prison? longer have their assets. They no longer have their control over the economy. So, Lou, would you would you be down for something like that? Would you be down for taking the worst of the worst? I mean, not the worst of the worst, but some of the most powerful billionaires. Uh, you can call Jeff Bezos or somebody like that the worst of the worst. Yeah, okay, someone, that's someone like that. So, so, okay, so that's my question to Lou then. Would you be on board with Jeff Bezos having, being completely divested of cash, having all of his assets seized and being put in prison? The fuck do I care about Jeff Bezos, right? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, what the fuck has he ever done for me? I mean, all he's done is basically driven down um, driven down the quality of goods and the quality of life for people around the world, you know. And I mean, Jim's not a hundred per. Jim's kind of in line, not not a hundred percent in line, but I mean, there are similarities between what Jim's talking about and what George Washington wanted. Because George Washington didn't want any political parties whatsoever. So you know, if you could get it down to one, I think George Washington would agree with that more than he would agree with the system that we have now. Sure, sure, and and. I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but even expanding it to not just Bezos, uh, other people, uh, maybe someone who has doesn't have twenty billion dollars, maybe someone who has four hundred million dollars. I mean, generally, what evil do they commit to get that though? Well, what we, fucking we, extortion do they commit to get that? That if you have four hundred million dollars, what extortion did you commit to make that amount of wealth? Well, wouldn't that wouldn't that require a trial? To, to figure yeah, that out. they can be put in front of a people's tribunal. That's fine. But what? But what law is going to imprison someone for making money? I mean, yes, some of them are horribly corrupt and commit crimes, but you can't. I mean, surely you're not saying that everyone who has a hundred million dollars has spent his entire life extorting people. You're talking. I about, am because no, I'm no, no. That's the only you, way to make a hundred. No, no, no. Because you, be, we, we had this conversation last week. You believe that simply the process of making the money, regardless of whether a crime is committed, m- means that you are guilty of something. So I, what I'm asking you is, if a trial is, would a trial be able to prove that that by using the free market system you acquired this money? How would that? How would that put them in prison? How would you put them in prison? I don't know. Show that what their profit margin is compared to their employee compensation. Okay. So you Show that they... they've been stealing. They've been stealing worker output to pump up profit, while paying their employees as little as possible. I don't. Right. Which would be unethical, but I'm not sure you can. But that's capitalism. That's the natural order. That is. That is how things work. That is, a company tries to pay people as little as possible to produce as much labor as possible. That's sure. capital. I, I yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with it, but uh... reminds me of a lecture I was listening to from Professor Wolf a while ago, which you know, Richard Wolf. In, yeah. Yes, I love Richard yeah. Wolf. Very charismatic individual. Very informative. You know, um, a lot of the stuff in theory when he talks about it makes a lot of sense. When it comes into in practice, that's where the 
various entanglements come into play. I mean, what uh, do you have a specific example of that? Well, I mean, like, I don't know. Entanglement uh, yeah. is the most recent podcast. Uh, you know, just give me some example and let's talk about that. Well, I mean, I'm I'm referring to a lecture that he gave. Jeez, I want to say it was like a five years ago. He gave a lecture. Right. I can't. I, uh, sorry, guys. I don't have. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a common. It's a common thing said about communism and socialism that when it's put into practice, it doesn't work. Uh, I w- yeah, I would just like to hear the individual points that uh, that no matter when this lecture would came out, I would like to hear the individual points that you disagree with about it. I mean, I work for a variety of wealthy individuals. You know, um, you know, Las Vegas is littered with them. Um, you were at the Mandalay Bay. I got it. Well, no, I wasn't at Mandalay Bay, but I, I did. I, I have worked with. Uh, I've worked extensively with Laura Loomer, who is the de facto expert on the Mandalay Bay, and I helped her with the. Um, I helped her with some of her October one investigations. You know, we went to a motel looking for an individual who was on the check-in list at Mandalay Bay, but who had stayed at this other motel, which suddenly had closed down and. Anyway, that's not the conversation, but, you know, I, I am yeah, kind sorry. of aware of certain things in, in that area. Sure. Right. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, it comes down to, uh, well, it doesn't come down to anything. It's a very complex conversation, but. Um, it is. And we're, well, how many minutes we have left in this? I'm looking. Well, at I mean, we can, we can cut off any time. We, 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 we uh, we're at, an, we're about an hour Let's yeah. Let's go about another. Uh, you want to do fourteen minutes more? We'll cut off at sixty. Fourteen more. I'm fine with that. Yeah. All right. Write this. Write the timestamp down so I can cut this out. Okay. One oh four forty. All right. Cut it out. What do you mean? Well, just uh, no, no, just just, uh, just us blathering about it. Um. Uh, just us uh, talking about how much longer we're going to talk. Although I don't think it's a yeah. big deal. I'm not. I'm, just, I'm trying to figure out a, a succinct question. Um. To ask you because, and Lou, the reason is not to put you on the spot. It's just simply because I have this conversation every week now with Jim, and uh, I, I, I'm not even necessarily completely opposed to what he's talking about. But what I'm trying to figure out is what kind of transitional period that we're going to need in order to transition from a society in which the accumulation of wealth is considered criminal. And when it's not considered criminal, because I don't know, like off the top of your head right now, like, would you, if if you were able to make a bunch of money, like, would you consider it a criminal act? Me? Fair to make a bunch of money? Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't see how it would be a criminal act. I mean, from what? I, I, I provide, I provide a service, right? And right. Service okay. Okay. If you want a specific, uh, okay. I guess if. If you like I, provide, the... I provide intellectual service to uh, individuals that seek it out. But right? let's so... put you in a hypothetical where you run a different business. Yeah, like the CEO of, I don't know, CEO of fucking Facebook. I mean, do you think Mark Zuckerberg, expect, actually Mark Zuckerberg is a good example because he has done some really shady, unethical shit in the past, you know, five years specifically. Um do you think that that kind of action should be criminal? Do you think the kinds of things he's doing should be accepted or regulated? I mean, should we try and allow that kind of predatory capitalism to go on? 
Or just, should he be put on a People's Tribunal in Yankee Stadium? Because that's what Jim, <laughs> yeah, Jim straight up thinks these people should be executed. I, look, I put it out there already. They know. Well, I mean, I, I, there are certain, you know, when Jim talks about this stuff, to me, I would, I'd be in favor of that sort of thing for pedophiles, right? I'd be happy. I'd be oh, happy yeah, to see, absolutely. I'd be happy to see their fucking pedophile island, you know, where it's just survival of the fittest and these sick fucks get dropped down there. You know, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be perfectly fine with me. I feel like we could put it on pay-per-view. I feel like the money could be spent <laughs> on a variety of other things to help society, victims' networks, and stuff like that. In general, um, you could call that bourgeoisie island, though. I mean, I think I think that's, I think it's the next generation of reality show. I just, you know, uh, maybe there's there isn't as much of an appetite for it right now because there are too many Karens in the world. Yeah, but. my dream is that Trump and Hillary wake up in the same cell and say both simultaneously say, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I, there's no. The issue now is like there's no solution visible within the two party system. You have one party that's a fully like corporatist, like brute force party, which is the Republican Party, and then you have the Democrats, which is a fully like pro privatization party. Which is going to hand everything, if they can, if they win the presidency, they will hand everything they can over to, like, tech companies. And I I agree about that because the tech companies are so unaccountable. There is a solution. I mean, the AOC solution, she she showed that it's possible to topple big money. There just needs to be more efforts in that regard. I've Mm -hmm. always been an advocate for individuals to become more involved in their local politics, run for city councils, you know run for regents or commissioners or, you know, we get it. There needs to be more of an involvement because in a lot of, and maybe I'm just speaking from Las Vegas experience, but there's just this hometown element where people who are in local politics here, a lot of them have been here and been involved in various governmental positions for 10, 20, 30 years. Right. Rather than there being everywhere. a lot of, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. It's everywhere. And I feel if there was more of an effort, a concerted effort to infuse new blood and new ideas and people who weren't part of the system of the governmental, you know, relying on their work as a, quote, public servant for their paychecks, right? I feel like that would be a large step forward to kind of fixing this problem or at least starting to alleviate the symptoms of the problem. Mm, I like that. that. Yeah, there should definitely be no incentive for doing a public service. I agree with that. Because if you have no incentive for doing a service, like a community service. Is that what what Lou was saying, though? I'm not sure. Oh, I just want to say that. that, That's what I believe, though. Like, I don't think anyone in Congress should be paid or paid more than like a living wage. Because I don't think that they they actually do anything that's productive. (laughs) I mean, it kind of reminds me of a Gore Vidal quote where he says that anybody who would seek the presidency should be automatically disqualified. Right. Uh, It's similar in that it comes back to what Jake was talking about with sociopathic personalities and individuals that are driven towards power. Um, There needs to be more reluctant public servants 
I guess. You know, people who are reluctant to seek office but are willing to just do the 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 tedious work of going and banging on every door in their district and getting votes that way rather than accepting donations from millionaires. Just the liberal meritocracy in general. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, to me, point, like, to me it's, you have to go to Harvard and Yale and be like a constitutional scholar to be the first black president, you know? Yeah. Lou, I, I just had uh, one more question, then I'll, I'll let Jim ask a last question. But I want to uh, redress something that you said at the very end of a comment when we were in the middle of moving on. But you said something about there's all these Karens in the world. Um, yes. Was that was that a suggestion that you think uh, the... Or was that a criticism against the Karens being called out or the actions of the actual Karens? I mean, I was I was saying that because in relation to there being a, a pay-per-view channel for, you know, a, a Hunger Games version for pedophiles and that there are too many willy-nilly people in society that wouldn't allow it. And I labeled them as Karens. But in general, <laughs> you know, the, the negative connotation to what a Karen is, you know. I mean, social media has just exacerbated this problem where every fucking idiot thinks that their opinion is, thinks that their opinion is, uh, you know, I don't know, worth its weight in gold. And then Mm -hmm. if there are enough negative opinions, that kind of drives policy based on certain outrages, which comes back to what we were talking about with the various other social movements. And yeah. So you're talking about like an, an up, basically the digital upgrade in mob, mob mentality or the, the. Uh, what's it called? Uh, something justice. Uh, Social justice? No, no, no. Uh, anyway, mob mentality. Uh, you know, we're definitely seeing that on the internet now. I mean, my my view it has kind of been that, um, you know, some of these people who are being accused of things, they haven't been charged in a court of law. They're just facing consequences and repercussions for certain in you know, interactions they may have. So I don't necessarily feel sorry for the people being called out. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think mob mentality uh, is always a, a, a bad thing. It's just, it be, it does become very kind of cult-like sometimes on the internet. Um, but at the same time, I think, I, you know, as a true crime guy, and, and boy, I, Lou, I can't wait for us to to be able to work again on on together on some kind of investigation, but in terms of of true crime, um, the mob mentality and the canceling culture has kind of had an effect on things, which is that you know people that might not not might not necessarily go down for a crime, they may have their livelihood taken away from them. And I'm not saying that's necessarily fair in all cases, but I'm saying it adds an interesting wrinkle to, uh, to, the, to the issue of, of, of this kind of stuff. Like it, it, it changes the, the calculus of it a little bit. I mean, you're right. And I would like to work on other projects in the future. Yeah, we could have talked a little bit about your book, but you know, there's so many other things to talk about. But uh, I've, um, I've talked about it so much. I'm sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as it relates to cancel culture, you know, it just kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't remember the name of this dentist who shot a lion or a fucking giraffe or something in Africa. Oh, right. Yeah. I forgot he, about that guy. Cecil the lion or whatever the fuck his name yeah. was. 
But I mean, this goal, this guy's whole livelihood gets, you know, this guy's whole livelihood is is ruined, and um, you know, his reputation's ruined, and uh, you know, it's not like he went there illegally, right? He went there on a safari and shot the fucking thing, and um, in that way, cancel culture to me is just bizarre because it's like, okay, where are the people with the outrage for the fucking lions that are getting shot today? It's like, okay, sure. you guys really only gave a fuck three years ago. You don't care anymore, and in that way, it's very disingenuous. Right. The social media outrage that gets expressed. And it's only because these individuals are, you know, I don't know, I don't want to play psychologist on all of this, but it just seems to me that there's this addiction to outrage rather than there being an addiction to lions being shot, for example. You think that's behind like what's going on with um, the condemnation of the United States uh, of China, say like, with the Uyghur genocide or something like that, like the United States suddenly pretending they care about Muslims. Yeah. Do you think right. that's a similar like that is from a similar perspective where like human rights is used as a cudgel, just selective outrage in general? Right. It it's, it's 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 entirely selective outrage. I mean, what 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 is one of the more famous ones? So like when Obama's uh, drones shot and killed a fucking wedding party in Yemen, right? But yeah, you know the United right. States government. It, it it is. I get. I kind of start to stutter a little bit because it exa- I get exacerbated when I think about all the contradictions. And I, <laughs> it personally offends me, having been involved in social media now for like 10 or 11 years and living in this kind of swamp for over a decade. And you just see all these people who puff up their chest with their fucking feathers neck like they're these holy righteous rollers about an issue for a week. It's like Anthony Bourdain kills himself, and then people post a oh, fucking yeah. suicide hotline for fucking three days. But go back and look at their fucking timelines today and see if they post anything about the suicide hotline today or last week or last month. The I was fucking no. Yeah, I was kicked out of the local organizing scene when I made fun of like a vigil for Chris Cornell because he died in my city. So I I get it. Like I was kicked out because I made fun of them for. First hosting, I made fun of them first for hosting a vigil for Chris Cornell. And then they're like, well, it's about drug abuse. God, and then it came out that Jim, like, you're such an asshole. Well, uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean, dude, this was supposedly like a liberal, like self-defense organization. And they were organizing like a candlelight vigil for Chris Cornell because he died in Detroit. And they were like trying to be like, well, it's about drug abuse. Uh, It's about suicide. You know, so All like right. that is like that's a very oh. much like cultural thing to fucking glom onto. I mean, now you have a bunch of people who are like, oh, well, I have an addict in my family trying to like defend Hunter Biden when like your defense right. of Hunter Biden should be that he's cool. Right. Not well. Like, oh, I, 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 I think we're going to talk about Chris Cornell and uh, Hunter Biden uh, and his cocaine and hookers in our conclusion. But Lou has been very generous with his time. And um, I think we're going to close this out here. But uh, Lou, do you uh, want to tell our viewers um, how they can see more of your work? Or do you care about that? Uh, If if you do, (laughs) I mean, uh, no, no. Sometimes I I, when people ask me that at the end of interviews, sometimes I'm just like, oh, God, I don't care. Just look it up. But you, you write for a number of different publications, but I'm not sure what you're doing these days. Like, where can they find your work? Tell you what, this in the last few weeks, maybe a month or so ago, I published an expose about an individual named David Hodgman, who's a millionaire trucking executive, who's the president of a 
very wealthy homeowners association here in Las Vegas, um, proved that he was arrested for rape. I interviewed a bunch of his family members um, who hadn't spoken to him um, in years. I interviewed his ex-girlfriend who said she had to chase him down for uh, child support payments, all types of stuff. It was a big swooping investigation. If anybody wants to check that out, it's at SpanishHillsHOA.com. It's my most recent investigation. I have other investigations that are in the work right now, but as we said at the beginning of the thing, can't really get into them, but I'll be publishing them um, when the investigations conclude. And besides awesome. uh, yeah. that, uh, thanks for chatting yeah. with me, guys. I, 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 I think you should go, at the very least, uh, you should follow Lou Collegiavani on Facebook. He has a, a, a page with a lot of hot takes, and he gets a lot of engagement. You got a pretty big following on there, man, and uh, you you got a you get a lot of really cool debates with people on there. So, uh, but yeah, man, thank you so much for being with us, man. It's always great talking with you, and uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us tonight, man. Absolutely, thank you very much, gentlemen. Yeah, let's do this again. What's up with that? Y'all cowards don't even smoke crack. What's up with that? Y'all cowards don't even smoke crack. What's up with that? Y'all cowards don't even smoke crack. All right, we're back. And uh, Jim, what did you think of my buddy Lou? He's pretty, pretty cool, huh? We're going to have to have more discussions. <laughs> yeah, it was a leading There's... question. It's, Yeah, I kind of yeah. get the feeling that we weren't able to find the right dynamic for an organic debate there. It's okay, because we'll be back. I, I think that we'll have them back. I think it, it doesn't even matter if we have them back, because at this point, our show is going to be full of debates about this type of leftism and also like populist right ideology and things like that so i i think lou will be back but at the same time i think like we'll also have other shows that illustrate our ideology yeah you know i told you it's you never know what you're gonna get i mean sometimes sometimes that guy is uh like a, a firecracker and I, I think you heard a little bit of that um i tried to i tried to guide you guys down some some uh debate roads but uh I know it was pretty. It was a pretty cordial, respectful conversation. I think. No, I'm not going to argue with another socialist at the same time. Like I, I get that. Uh, I get people's under like misunderstandings of countries like China and North Korea, and at the same time, he he identified like the issues I have with um, State Department Department propaganda against China and things like that. Like he identified those same issues, so it's. Yeah. If you can he's, he's reverse your opinion on a preemptive strike on North Korea, like we can talk. You know what I mean? I, I was I was surprised and flattered that he openly admitted that he lost the debate. I wasn't expecting the the well, first I, debate, yeah. the first debate we had. If you can understand that U.S. imperialism, no matter what, makes things worse. You know, look at Iraq or Afghanistan, for that matter, where it was like. After, uh, you know, we failed to catch bin Laden, like the war in Afghanistan became about like what women's rights and things like that. Right. Right. 
And so I think if you look at things like that, like you see like the liberal imperialist perspective. And I think it, it is nice to, at least foreign policy-wise, to see people acknowledge that like that that 90s Clintonite type thinking is no longer valid. Mm-hmm. I do. I mean, yeah. And I pretty much agreed with, you know, 99% of the things he said. I don't know. Sometimes I, I do get a little tired of just this constant, uh, I mean, the DNC is bad and Democrats are bad, but I do think that conservatives are way worse. Um, they're just way worse. They're, they're, yes, Democrats are hypocritical and yes, they are corrupt sometimes, but I feel like on the most substantial issues, they are at least sort of on the right side of history. What Whereas issues, though? Any of them, dude. <laughs> any of them. Okay. Name an issue. Regulating social media. Okay. That's, that's a, I'm not sure that's a classic issue, dude. That's kind of like a new <laughs> I'm just saying that a is thing. a new issue that and, we and, faced in this And time. look, I'll be honest, major. dude. And I didn't go into this because, I don't know, I kept losing the, the thread of it, but... Um, look, are the tech companies basically integrated with the government now? Yes, absolutely. There is a kind of synergistic revolving door between these big tech companies and the government, but they are not technically the government. They're a private company. So censorship applies to your, you know, your first amendment, your right to speak it does it's it does not say anything about your point and i'll put an asterisk next to the point because the point is basically a distorted lie but and that's a separate question but the free speech does not say anything about your right to have that message amplified on to 300 million people on social media i think it's a different ball game and especially when the information, I don't even care where the information came from. I really don't because I am on the side of WikiLeaks in terms of I, I want to know the truth regardless of how it's acquired. But but the, in, in this case with the Hunter Biden story, there there's a very reasonable chance that this was like seriously just straight up made up. Like, like it, that it's like not true at all. It's a very, very sketchy story. And what, I think it, what I, aspects of it, dude, I'm not going to go into that right now. It's 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 there's articles out there breaking it down. It it really seriously sounds Rudy Giuliani has been bullshitting about this Hunter Biden stuff for years. It no. really it really sounds to me like he straight up made up some shit like what he found. A, are you kidding me? He found a laptop. He he found he found Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. He found Hunter Biden's laptop. Is that seriously? Is that seriously what we're buying here? That Rudy Giuliani found Hunter Biden's laptop. Come on, that's crazy. He made this shit up, and I don't think a social media company has a responsibility necessarily to amplify something if there's reasonable evidence that it is complete disinformation. But at the same time, Twitter's like reason for not allowing it was how the information was obtained. Sure. 
Absolutely. It wasn't that I'm it was not saying they did. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that yeah. they did everything this, right. I'm saying this was not the same as like a Facebook fact check under a post. You know what I mean? Right. But generally speaking, what I'm saying is I'm not super heartbroken about. Uh, first of all, I don't really consider it censorship. It, it at at best, it's shadow ban. Or no, no, I guess no, it's not shadow ban. So they they did actually take the post and I, I'm not sure if it's censorship because censorship applies to that first amendment. And this, this is, this is a private company deciding, and I'd never expected myself to be making a civil liber- libertarian argument, trust me, but this is a company deciding they were uncomfortable with an article because they believed it to be disinformation. And that happens a lot these days, dude. Because they think a majority of their audience would respond negatively to it. That's my. No, thing. I don't. I don't think that's what it is. I don't think that's what it is at all. I think it's because we're we're two weeks away, three weeks away from uh, a presidential election, and this looks very much like a October surprise disinformation campaign. I mean, it's pretty obvious, dude. I mean, it's, and I'm not saying the Democrats don't do the same shit too. And should should they be shadow banned more? Maybe, but I'm just saying I don't. I'm not really shedding a lot of tears for a New York Post article by Rudolph Giuliani, Rudolph Giuliani about a laptop. I I just I think he is uh, a a bullshit artist of the highest level. And to me, it's like the Jacob Wall dude, that dude, and <laughs> and his guy, and yeah. and the. Um, Jack Bergman, who who's the other uh, right wing investigator? The something oh. project. Uh, Jack Bergman was his partner until he shot Jack. Until Jacob Wall was accused of shooting Jack Junior, which was the dog. Yeah, what's the other? What's that conservative group, dude? That uh, <sighs> Project Veritas. Veritas, there it is. Yeah, Project yeah. Veritas, dude. They've, they, it actually just came out just in the last two weeks. They, they straight up bribed someone to make up a story. Uh, I can't remember which one it was, but they're, they're, they're just, they're, this is the, the problem is that the conservatives don't play by any rules whatsoever. Like, well, I think the problem is more with the liberals refusing to bend the rules or break the rules. Maybe, because maybe. Yeah. the Republicans will never respect anything. I don't care like what social justice majority the Democrats take over the Senate on or something like that during the next election. The Republicans do not care. They know how to use their power when they have it. Oh, Mitch, McConnell, Mitch McConnell was literally willing to suicide bomb the Senate so they can have a conservative Supreme Court. Mitch McConnell will probably lose his seat this election. I I I think he won't. I think Lindsey Graham will. I I do think Republicans will probably lose the majority. But look, he doesn't care. He's going for broke. Do, do you? Yeah. Realize, either way, it doesn't. Do you matter. realize what a massive historical steal this is for him to get uh, this six three conservative majority? I mean, he basically is, that, he's just... basically stolen two Supreme Court seats. McConnell has secured his legacy. He doesn't give a fuck anymore. The federal judiciary in general that the Senate's been charged with approving has just like admitted a bunch of like twenty-two-year-olds with law degrees yeah. and stuff. It, it's you know, it's horrifying. People the, who the will be on the bench like thing. long after you and I die. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah. You know? we, we have basically uh, three to four decades at least ahead of us of basically the federal judiciary being completely out of step with public sentiment. Right. That's like what – that's what concerns me too is the Democrats have placed so much weight in the Supreme Court that now it's gone. Yeah. Um, I don't think the Supreme Court will overturn Roe versus Wade because that is like – what would the fuck would the conservatives like push out the evangelical vote with if Roe versus Wade was overturned, you know? That's an interesting thought, yeah. And and, and by the way, dude, I, I I'm not saying I think the Democrats – are good at politics, are good at messaging. Right. I think they're horrible. What I'm saying is that on a fundamental ideological level, I think their stance on the issues to me shows uh, a much better affinity with basic truth than conservatives. I mean, yeah, they're acknowledging like the facts of reality, but they don't acknowledge the facts of everyday <laughs> yeah, that's life. That's important. The facts of reality, the facts of climate change, that's important, dude. But they don't acknowledge the fact that their neoliberal policies have destroyed lives for 30 years. They don't acknowledge that. Uh, Hillary doesn't acknowledge having slaves in the governor's do. mansion. Okay, first things first. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I think sometimes <laughs> they do acknowledge it. There are Democrats who say, yes, these were mistakes. Uh, there are Democrats. One of them is Bernie Sanders. Another one is AOC. These are Democrats who right. are have acknowledged horrible mistakes in trade agreements, in all kinds of things, and they're trying to reform. Basically, what I'm saying but is that at the, the same an- time, the answer is not the answer is not uh, not voting for Biden. Uh, just because you hate the DNC. The answer is reforming once Biden gets in. I don't know about that, because what motivation does he have to reform? I don't know, dude, but that's what politics is, and they've got to get in there, and and they're going to have to figure out great leaders that figure out ways to do great things and change things, figure out a way especially with social media nowadays, there's a way to uh, get this done. Most people want universal health care. Most people want a Green New Deal of some kind. These mm-hmm. two things these two things could be done together, and there's a way to do it. And unfortunately, I'm not... Bernie Sanders, I think, will be an important part of it, but I'm not sure he's going to be the one who's going to actually do it. I don't know. I mean, I but Biden doesn't support any of that. Biden yes, doesn't even support does. raising the minimum wage. He does actually. No, he 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 issued a new Green New Deal plan that he wrote with Bernie Sanders. And, and you think he's going to abide by that? Not necessarily, but it's a there's a chance. With Trump, no. there's no chance. With Trump, there's zero chance ever of anything progressive happening whatsoever. I think that's the same amount of probability you have with Biden. I'm not encouraging anyone to vote for Trump, but I think that's the same probability you have with Biden for doing the right thing. How could it be the same probability when one person acknowledges climate change and says we have to do something about it, and the other person says it's a hoax? How could there possibly be the same probability? Because if one person's solution to do something about it is somehow like managing to give more tax credits to oil companies or say like – even more tax breaks to like solar companies. Like the fact that that's what the Democrats' plan would be 
it it doesn't do me any good. That's not necessarily it, what their plan is. Have you read the new Biden's Green New Deal proposal? Tell I mean, me he, what I mean. He actually that. he actually doesn't even say Green New Deal. He doesn't use those words, dude. It's basically what Bernie wanted. It's basically a compl- a massive divestment from fossil fuels and a massive reinvestment in alternative energy sources and ec- you know a, a, a giant economic stimulus plan based around. Um, you know, refer you know completely retrofitting the economy. Uh, based I around, yeah. I don't see the father who put like his crackhead son in charge of a fucking oil pipeline in Ukraine, and represents a state that's basically a shell company within itself, as far as Delaware is concerned. Uh, I don't see any type of reason to believe that person would have any morality. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm saying there is a better chance than with a white nationalist fascist. And I'll take neoliberal oligarchy over white nationalist fascism any day of the week. I don't know that I... At least the fascism is obvious. The the fucking like techno fascism and like privatization of neoliberalism is not as obvious to people. Yeah, and but it, it's obvious because it's way worse and it's way more horrible. But people think like things like school choice and shit like that are positives. It doesn't matter like how you frame it. You know school what I mean? Choice. What are you talking about? I'm saying like people who like try and. People who push privatization programs over already existing public programs, like the idea of charter schools over public schools. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I think people who – and the Democrats push that idea too because the Democrats have this idea of like, oh, we'll put like poor POC students in coding school, and then in 10 years we won't have to import anybody from India anymore. You know what I mean? You know, dude, I, I'd actually, I'd really like to have someone, a guest on the show who, actually, God, we're such morons. We, we, John Vibes could, John Vibes is a passionate anti-public school person. I'd really like to have a debate yeah. on that. Yeah, I'd like to discuss it because the idea of a charter school is like it's still a state subsidized school, but it's with that the private curriculum. Right, that would have been a great subject. I can't. All right, well, we'll have John Vibe we'll back, back on. Yeah, but either uh, way, I I just think that I don't know. There's certain things that the state should run, but the state in its current form is not qualified to run. You understand? Sure. You know right. I, the the idea of like a bourgeois state that responds to capital overall. They're not fit to run certain institutions. Now, whereas like China, if a billionaire is illegally funneling data, they'll be arrested. This country, if a billionaire is legally funneling data, they get to go in front of Congress and explain how like it's not illegal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I genuinely see an issue with that because I see... um. Even the media itself, you see, like with this later, this latest Hunter Biden story, you see the media itself ceding control of censorship to the platforms it's shared on, mm-hmm. and and that makes me nervous, you know, because as someone who's, you know, you've worked in independent media, I still do. 
I still do too. Now I, I, I think it's a, I would like to have, I would, I, I, I mean, we're going to have multiple entire shows based around, um, this question of whether social media should be nationalized. Right. And uh, yeah, I think it should definitely be discussed. Like, I don't know. When you ban someone like Alex Jones or something like that, you only validate them. You know what I mean? Well, but you also, you take away a lot of his revenue. And you do. Which... You did. They did. They did. They, he relies on banned video or whatever now, you know? Yeah. So and I, I get that. Arguably, I if, that. if you consider someone like that a domestic terrorist, which I'm not saying he necessarily is, but I think you could definitely, some people definitely argue that he is. If you want to hurt a terrorist, you figure out a way to demonetize them. But I'm, also... I'm, I'm in a weird position here, dude, because I'm always saying, boy, I hated what Facebook did to anti-media, and I don't like that. And so that's the problem, is that they can use this language that I'm using. They can use this excuse right. for just about anything um, when it's not always applicable. And, that, and that's the problem. And that's why I don't trust the state, dude, because they'll fucking lie about anything as long as it helps them achieve their end goal. Oh, again, that's what, yeah, I don't, that's why I don't trust this state. But at the same time, like, this state is fully integrated with, like, the tech uh, oligopoly, you know? Like, sure. this state has fully integrated the tech companies into their strategy for the future. And uh, they look to the tech companies for guidance. They, I mean, when you have a Senate hearing with, like, Facebook or Twitter, that's the Senate looking to them for guidance because sure. they don't understand it, you know? Yeah, tell us tell us how to speak about this in the right way, so that so that uh, we can put up a a united front on on this. Well, we'll get back. I mean, to that. Well, tell us tell us about um, tell our viewers who our guest next week is going to be. Well, hopefully next week we'll have uh, Will Porter, who is friends with one of the militia men who went down in my state recently, Michigan. Oh. That's right. Dude, that would be so awesome. That yeah, hopefully great. that'll be next week's episode. So, um, yeah, we'll wrap this up. I mean, let's talk about... We'll have a guest on at some point to talk about the nationalization of... Well, we don't We don't stuff. have to rush through it. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you, bro. No, like, no, 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 no. I think that'd be... Honestly, I think that'd be a good subject for like somebody like Burnaby or something. Yes, yes, because he was directly affected right. by this in a massive way. Yeah, the nationalization and constitution, even if, like, Dude. I don't the constitution, but, like, the constitution applied to social media. It's absolutely a fantastic issue to discuss with Nick, because not only has he had this happen to him with his entire livelihood demonetized by social media, but he's also anti-state, so he's not going to agree with nationalizing it, obviously. So the question right. to Nick will be, well... What the hell do you do with it? Exactly. That's what I'd like to go into. We'll, let's, we'll group message him soon and talk to him about booking something. Yeah, we'll group tag that shit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I, I think that like at this point, people have really accepted a level of like corporate techno-fascism because the Silicon Valley corporations have really gone unchecked. Things like Twitter and Facebook who consider themselves like media publishers. Like you said, sometimes they're media platforms, sometimes they're not, you know? 
And I think like their control over the federal government is very apparent when they go in for hearings and they refuse to answer any questions. They don't give a straight answer to anything. You don't even the senators who question them directly don't understand their business model when the day is done, even though you and I do, you know, it's selling data. Right. But the senators like still don't understand this shit after they've heard like eight hours of testimony. Right. So I I remember that one with uh, the Zuckerberg uh, hearing was was very painful to watch. I don't think a state without like some democratic controls can regulate these bodies. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. But that's an issue for another episode. (laughs) Another day, another dollar, another issue. Uh, But yeah, next week. Hopefully we'll have Will Porter, or if not, we will be back with another guest. And um, we'll have something. We're gonna have something. Did you want to plug anything? No. Okay. I I, ha- I have a few new articles on the Mind Unleashed. Okay. Uh, I can't remember what the uh, mostly. I swear, like twenty percent of my articles are about black holes, mm-hmm. and I'm not. Uh, it's not a euphemism. I, I mean, I really do mean like the cosmic cosmological black hole. Uh, I don't know what else it would be. Uh, yeah, Jake but... is a Joe Rogan guy. Yeah, Gabe, super into <laughs> Rogan. He's on DMT all the time. I don't, I don't listen to Rogan anymore, dude. He... But that's we'll get into that yeah. another... another day. Yeah, again. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm glad you're writing. I'm glad to see that you're putting something out there again. Um, Definitely go check out the Mind Unleashed anyway, because it's one of the few surviving indie media outlets, to be honest. It really is. It you really know? is. I'm actually and kind of shocked that uh, they have way less political content, but they do have political content, and they also have, like, 8 million followers. So, like, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they, that they've survived. Right, exactly. And then um, if you want to see something from me this week, I'll be publishing stuff on... Uh, the current fighting in Azerbaijan, Armenia, etc. Um, I am doing an interview series with Armenian Americans on the current fighting in uh, the Artsakh area, the uh, autonomous republic declared by Armenia, but not recognized by the rest of the world. So I'll be interviewing Armenian Americans on that issue, and I'll be publishing a bunch of information on the history of Armenia and Azerbaijan going back from the Soviet Union to now. So uh, yeah, that is I'm awesome, really excited dude. about this series. Yeah, man, that sounds fascinating. I can't wait to check that out. Yeah, I mean, the first part is up on Geopolitics Lore. You can always check it out. But yeah, I, I there's going to be more this week. Um, I'm really excited about this because Ar- Armenians, you lived in California for a while. Yep. And you know how large like the Armenian population is, but it doesn't get a voice, you know. Sure. And um, as far as like you know, Israel recognized the Armenian genocide a couple months ago as like a a political a political slash at Turkey. You know, so like even when the Armenians are recognized, they're used as political pawns. Even when the Trump administration was threatening to recognize the genocide, it was because they were having disputes with Turkey. You know, so Armenia in general is used as like a political pawn when people need it. Um, so I think it's important to discuss the issue as like an ongoing thing rather than some like hot button issue because like the Turks sent rebels in. You know what I mean? 
Totally. All right, so check out Jim's work on Geopolitics Alert. You can check out my stuff on The Mind Unleashed. And thank you so much for listening. And uh, we're still plugging along here. We're going to keep getting better as we go along here. Thank you for thank you for sticking with us for these early episodes. And uh, hope you're finding we'll them back next week. Somewhere.